Welcome back to another episode of Beer One Bites, where Business One takes a bite out of professional insight. I'm Anthony, and today I'm joined by Jen and our incredible guest, Eliza Lee. Eliza is a serial entrepreneur who has started multiple ventures in the social impact space. While she was studying her Bachelor's of Biomedicine and Commerce at Monash University, she founded her non-for-profits, Reach in Education and Halad to Health. Halad to Health is a non-for-profit that started off conducting medical health education in the Philippines and is now the leading provider of free mental health services. Eliza is also a consultant and started consulting at BCG in 2021 and is now a freelance consultant. One of her new businesses that she recently started is Strong Pilates Bowen. So how have you been? Uh, I know you've recently visited China with your family, so how's your trip? Yeah, it was incredible. It was one of those things where, yeah, it's once in a lifetime for my family, we are Chinese, um, but the whole trip was to take my grandma back to China one last time, um, post-pandemic and everything. So it's something that is, you know, it, was, it came at a time where we are 10, it was, we were 10 days out from opening Strong Pilates at that time, and you have to make a choice between work and family, and you always choose family. So I'm glad I went, um, but, you know, we are now four days out from opening at Strong, and I've I don't know if you can see, but I'm shaking with stress and anxiety, and um, it has been a very crazy few weeks. As it would, as it would be. Just to start off with some questions, so I want to break down your entrepreneurship and like career trajectory. When I found you on LinkedIn, and <laughs> it was like a bit of a stalk. Um, <laughs> you like <laughs> professional, t- professional Tinder. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, how did your entrepreneurship um, like journey start, and what drew you to entrepreneurship in uni, like founding, reaching education, and how to health, um, and like what drew you to like social impact. Yeah, well, I think I have always been inherently very interested in social entrepreneurship. I can't even say the damn word. I've done it so long. Um, social entrepreneurship for so long. Um, I think it all starts from very much like my family migrated to New Zealand and then Australia um, out of the Cultural Revolution in China, where basically my my dad was really quite well educated in English, but that's all he had. And when they came to New Zealand, they had absolutely no money, not just basically the air ticket that they had and no other way of getting back, basically. Um, so I always sort of saw my family and the way that they worked as we didn't grow up lucky, we didn't grow up with anything, but I always reflect that I had the most luckiest childhood in the sense that I saw them work so hard. And I also got to see my parents not just slave away, but... You know, they did every job under the sun, like probably every immigrant's parents did. Um, But to the point when I was in primary school, they started their own businesses and became sort of jumped out on their own and that kind of thing and essentially became, you know, sole traders as professionals. um, And that completely changed the trajectory of our family. Um, And I don't think a lot of people actually grew up and got to see that and how that changes a family's sort of outcome, what that means for their children and everything. Um, But definitely I can tell for me and my brother's life that completely changed where we went to school, the house that we lived in, the everything, the fact that we no longer had to drive an hour and a half to get to school and that kind of thing. So um, I think from a very young age, I almost very subconsciously got ingrained that one day I want to start a business. You know, that's the only thing that I knew. I didn't know what exactly mum and dad did, um, but I know that it helped them so much in their trajectory and they didn't have to struggle so much anymore. Um, And by the time I got into sort of high school, the first 
I didn't grow up with anyone with a store in my family. I didn't know anyone who owned a store or sold anything or whatnot. Um, so my concept of business was very different. Um, but the first time I sold anything was in high school when you'd buy those like Cadbury, you know, chocolate, <laughs> charity fundraiser, koala, caramello situations. Um, and I'd take it to school and within the day it would sell out by just like me holding it and going to class and everyone putting a dollar in here and there. Um, and I just realised how quickly, if you have the right product in the right place, because like... You could just go to the supermarket after school, but people wanted it at lunchtime. So if you just had the right thing at the right place, um, people would come and buy it. I did that every single day for pretty much a year and a half since the middle of year 11 to the end of year 12. Very so much for those Caramello, Koala, Cadbury <laughs> people. Um, and But from there, I very much learned that like if you just have something that sells really well or is the right sort of fit or whatnot, um, you, know, you can start earning from basically being there or whatnot. Um, and so that was my first, I guess, foray into selling anything. Um, but going into, I guess, university, I very much knew I wanted to one day have a social business. When everyone said, like, I want to become a doctor and when I wanted to go into this, I want to be a police person. And when sort of the counsellor asks you what's career that you want to have, I'm, I would tell them, like, I want to have a business that does good. Um, I want to sell things and then donate the proceeds to whatever, because back then, back then, meaning like eight years ago, the only real concept of a social enterprise was something like a, a thank you water where they donate donate um, profits or whatnot. So that was our concept of a social business back then. Um, so yeah, one, I very much saw the pinnacle of success as something like a thank you, um, where you could do so well that you could, you know, use those proceeds to go and do something great. Um, and you know, that was an idea that I wanted to have. And I thought that, you know, maybe one day when you're successful, when you're like in your 30s, you can go and do that or whatnot. And I guess I really suppressed that for a really long time, um, really long time being like a year. So uh, that's the context of timeline. Um, but so suppressed that to go into basically uni and be like, OK, I want to be really focused in uni. Um, it's actually a really funny story, but I basically I missed out on actually enrolling in Monash. And the only way I got in was doing this double degree of biomed and science, which is basically the same thing. Um, and then luckily mid semester or whatever, I got to change over to commerce and, and biomed. So um, tip for people out there, like don't miss actually pressing the button when you say enroll. Um, so I didn't enroll into my actual real course first. Um, but yeah, end up getting into biomed and commerce. Um, and by the end of the first year, I was flat chat done. Like, there's so much theory to learn. It just didn't feel like it was anything close to even a stepping stone in the right direction of where I wanted to be in terms of at one day creating a social business. Um, and so at the end of that year, I was like, okay, I want to learn two things. I didn't get any sort of practical experience out of those sort of that first year of the degree. Um, and I was like, okay, I just want to take things into my own hands, entrepreneurial hat on. Um, and I was like, I'm going to create my own internships as a first year student and do anything that I can do to find opportunity. Um, so I went online and I, I searched up and I said, in the biomed field, there was this one opportunity to go and um, become like a shadow, uh, I guess, medical intern for six weeks over in rural Philippines um, in this absolute place that I couldn't even pronounce at the time. Had never been to the Philippines, don't even know where it's on the map, don't know how long the flight's going to take or anything. Um, and it was just for six weeks, go and shadow a doctor and see what they do um, and sort of support the, the charity foundation that does these free surgeries over there um, by basically paying a fee for your sort of placement or whatnot. And then the next thing that I found was this internship at this, it was actually like a startup lingerie 
company in Sydney, which was she was actually starting it out of her own apartment. So every day I'd go to work to go to her apartment. Um, and so there were completely vastly different experiences, but that's what I did in the summer between my first and second year. In the sort of business internship sort of thing, I realised I was really crap at being an intern. Um, and in and then when I got to the Philippines, um, I realised I was really handy, which was like at the from day one, I would be so curious into observing, into sort of learning. Um, and basically from the second week onwards, they'd seen that I'd watched the same surgery over and over and over again, that um, at some point they started teaching me how to become a scrub nurse because on week four, they were going to go out to this rural mountainous place where they were about to do 100 free surgeries on cleft lip palate um, sort of kids who they have their sort of the top of their mouth is split open so they won't be able to sort of speak properly and therefore won't be able to get into sort of the normal learning um, development cycle. Um, And so very early you want to make the intervention of correcting that. So we're going to do all these surgeries. They were under-resourced, and so they quickly just taught me in the first two weeks. And by the time I got to the mountainous area on an eight-hour truck drive, um, I was there basically scrub-nursing with them. And from that day onwards, I just, you know, it's so different to my first year of uh, what I was studying that I I said to myself, one day I'm going to come back here and do so much more, whether it's by bringing more medical supply donations because they were recycling gloves or um, just drying things on towels for the next day's surgery or whatnot because there's no disposables or whatnot over there. Um, So whether it was by bringing more donations or bringing more people or doing something even different to be be able to support this sort of charity foundation, I'll do anything for it. Um, So I came back, did my second year of university um, and within that whole year I basically just fundraised to buy a ton of donations um, and bring it over the year after um, and it was on the second sort of mission trip that I went with them that they had said and I, I sort of turned around to the doctors and said you know what can students like myself who aren't qualified to do anything with you guys um, what can we do to make a huge difference because I know there's 600 of me back home in, at, at, in Australia who are studying the same thing and have the exact same desire to do more um, and they're like, you have, you have no idea. As, as students, you have this incredible ability to really make a difference because by the time that the patients get to us, whether it's it's not necessarily in cleft palate, but in different sort of diseases and scenarios, um, you know, a lot of patients will go to the hospital for the same recurring the same recurring issues, especially when there's sort of like hygiene or waterborne disease over there in villages. Um, and they said, you know, we don't want to necessarily always be doing these free surgeries and interventions and, and sort of care. What, what we actually need is people to come and do free health education to actually educate people on um, how to prevent some of these diseases in the first place. And I was like, that's literally what we learn in our degree. Um, so within sort of the... I came back within sort of the um, a semester. I just wrote up basically a bit of an itinerary. There's a bit of a little backstory as to how like my co-founder had found the place that we would actually go and do this. Um, but he said, you know what, I found a place that you could start maybe making some impact in terms of health education. Um, would you like to come again? And I was like, yeah, great. I'm happy to do it. Let me get some friends who, let's see if anyone wants to come with me. Um, I wrote up basically on a spreadsheet, just like an itinerary of like what we would do. Um, and I put it on my Facebook group with, with our Monash sort of biomed friends. And within overnight, I had like 20 applications for this so-called program um, in my inbox. And I was like, great, this is something that we've sort of latched onto. Um, and so it was a very different idea of a social and enter- like, I guess, business in my sense from what I had understood as a younger student. It was not necessarily taking the proceeds from one place and donating it somewhere, but it was really being the change. Um, And so for the first five students who came with me, then the next 10 students, then the next 10 students on the next trip, it was we were truly making a difference by just simply going 
and sharing what we had already learned in university. Um, and that made a world of difference over in the Philippines. And we did four trips before the pandemic um, and it grew a lot of attraction. Um, and now it's called the mission trips and pretty much every Monash Biomed student probably knows about it now. Um, and it's an incredible experience that fills this gap of these students really are craving for this experience and placement and just like how I was a few years back to over in the Philippines, there really is very little resource to be able to teach every single student when there's say one guidance counsellor to 7,000 students, like how can you teach everyone? Even if it's just one simple message every semester, it still makes a huge difference. Um, so sort of closing the gap between those two things is, is mainly what sort of the start of Hallowed to Health as a not-for-profit was and the first sort of social business there. Um, but yeah, I mean, when the pandemic happened, things things completely changed. Um, and and Hallowed is now really pivoted. Our in-country team is pivoted towards all about mental health education and we provide mental health services now um, but our trip still remains um, in terms of for university students to go over there. That's so interesting just hearing like how you like kind of came up with the ideas and also the thought going into it I feel like it's definitely something we can all kind of relate to but it's like really cool that you like actually took initiative in that sense and just created that like social impact or like allowed others to like create that social impact. Yeah for sure being the being the, I, you know, I thought of myself as just one person, but it's, it really only just takes one person to connect to two dots. Um, and it makes this world of difference where now like 200 people know about the opportunity, 200 people know about this place in the world that needs their help. Um, and there are so many, so many more sort of places like that it just takes people to, as you said, take the initiative and go and connect it. That's really cool to hear how you've been able to scale um, like Halata Health and how this whole initiative, it started from just a desire to make the world like a better place. And it kind of like, it sounds like you are kind of someone who is like a bit of like very much a go-getter who will jump into a lot of opportunities for themselves and like, as Anthony said, create like initiative. Where do you think this drive really comes from? Yeah. That is very much true. If someone had to describe me, it'd be like a, a go-getter, like go create your own opportunity kind of person. If someone tells you no, like go find out how to make a yes sort of thing. Um, but I really think that stems from, I guess, like I mentioned, like our family was never well off or any sense. Like I knew if the, the you know, conditions that I was born into sort of thing, like I was by no means ever meant to go to a private school. I was never meant to ever be here in Melbourne in sort of the house that we live in and the whatnot. And it was progressively, that's why I think I say I'm like, I've had the luckiest education because I've seen what it's like to really start off with absolutely nothing as a kid and to have everything secondhand picked from sort of hard rubbish or whatnot to really getting, you know, the opportunity to go to one of the best schools or whatnot. And from the day I stepped into that school, I knew I was out of place. It was, I was not meant to be here. Um, everyone had any everything, not necessarily everyone, but, you know, as, as a cliche, just everyone had everything handed to them on a silver spoon. And that was not my upbringing by any chance. And so I saw probably every single year I did the most sports, the most music, the most everything, just to milk the crap out of that tuition. Um, and I think that very much inherently was just like, you are so lucky to be here, you have to make the most out of everything. Um, and so that's probably what's ingrained in me and, and sort of that's the only way for me to sort of justify how I was in this place sort of thing, um, especially in school. And I, I was at that school for eight years, so you can imagine how many damn badges I got for participating in everything um and I was 
proud of it. You know, I think the other thing was like a lot of people were shy to, not shy to, but like were embarrassed to participate in sport carnival, this, whatever, it was lame or whatnot. But I was the proudest to do every single thing. Um, and that is definitely sort of in, ingrained in, in, in me. That's so awesome to hear. I actually kind of come from like a similar background as well. Like my parents are an immigrant family and so being able to kind of just have the, all the opportunities that we have, it's definitely something that like... I don't know, like I feel very thankful for and grateful to have. So it's really kind of cool to hear that you come from such humble beginnings, um, but you're doing such amazing things with all the opportunities that you have. Thank you. To kind of give listeners a little bit of preview of how I actually met Eliza as well. Um, I met Eliza at another event um, where she talked about her entrepreneurial journey, um, how you joined like the Monash Accelerator, how you've done like a TED talk um, and one kind of key point that I really like remember you kind of telling us was how you felt like a lot of imposter syndrome and at that moment, I was like, what? Like, this girl, she's, like, accomplished so much. Um, she's, like, such girl boss vibes. That you <laughs> Yet she, like, also kind of have these feelings of feeling imposter syndrome. Um, and I read from an article as well that was featuring you at the, at the Monash Accelerator program. And you had mentioned something about how it took you, like, four weeks to kind of stop doubting yourself that you were even, like, selected for the program Mm. um and i'd just love to hear from your perspective how you were able to overcome that and what that experience of joining the celebrate program and being able to overcome those self-doubts like what what that was like yeah absolutely so this was in between my second and i'm pretty sure like second my third year or my third year of university whatnot so at the time i think i was 19 20 20 um and to give context on to probably what I, I said about the imposter syndrome, I literally was in a cohort of 10 startups that were selected. So 10 were selected. One of them was literally building a rocket ship. One of them was building a mental health app that is now the biggest thing in LA. The uh, other one, yeah, is a, a similar concept, but now is one of the biggest apps on the app store. So it's like, yes, I had a ton of imposter syndrome. I was here studying biomedicine and commerce in my third year and just like, applied because I thought it would be this, you know, amazing additional extracurricular again, participating in everything. Um, So, yeah, it was a very big expectation gap, I would say. Um, I was by far the youngest there and the most inexperienced. I had never worked a day in my life as a professional um, and was turning up to basically uni still in my trackies. um, And everyone knew exactly where they needed to be, what meetings they needed to have, the connections that they needed, who was who in this ecosystem. Um, And so I had a a huge, I guess, professionalism learning gap as well as a self-confidence learning gap. Um, But I, I loved it in terms of... I truly was the dumbest person in the room for the whole 12 weeks of that accelerator program. Um, And I only sort of really found out afterwards that they only really picked me never for the idea, um, but because they believed in me as a founder. When you just see that someone is a go-getter, they gave me a piece of advice in the interview process and I, you know, made sure I did it before the next interview. And and the fact that you learn quickly, you actually action things, you truly care about being focused and being in this program, that's what they picked me for. And so, you know, within the first four weeks, my idea was basically scrapped. So, yeah, I had basically nothing. Um, And by the end, 
for so we have a 12 week accelerator program people who started with a rocket ship end up with a better rocket ship i started with this idea had it scrapped at week four tried three different things by the time i got to week seven and by week 12 i was basically on the stage pitching at the showcase about a menopause kit which i'm a 19 20 year old trying to talk to an audience of menopause women it was absolutely no product market fit um, and I was completely just faking it till I made it on that stage. And it was just get through this night and we'll figure out the rest later. So that's where, at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, of course, that, that startup idea failed. It actually surprisingly got a bit of traction on, online. Um, but, you know, it was not something that I wanted to do long term or whatnot. So let, let it aside, went back to uni to just focus on actual, you know, productive things. Um, but, you know, at the end of that, when you see everyone else in your cohort do so well, literally a lot of people have, after that pitch night, got like 250 grand in funding from like investors or whatnot. It's like, yeah, you're actually doing real stuff in the real world. Um, and, and then you see how much effort you had put in in the 12 weeks to not just get the idea off the ground, but also just validate yourself for your worth being in this space. Um, you know, you, you can feel a sense of failure because the thing that you were doing was a failure. Um, but... I think what I realised at the end of all of that was, like, they picked me because they probably knew that the idea was going to flop, but I was going to pick myself back up and do something else. Um, and so off the back of that, yeah, for sure, felt like the the product was a failure. The sort of time I spent there by no means was a failure, but at the point in time it feels like it. Um, but I guess the discrepancy is realising that you yourself are, are not the issue. You know, you're going to go off and this is just a stepping stone in the right direction and basically... A month after that was when actually the first Howard mission trip started. And so it was like actually finding what, what do I care about? Coming back to the whole social impact thing, like my networks were over in the Philippines at that time. Um, and, you know, realizing that within, within a month, actually, really, like you were getting traction just doing something else. You yourself was not the issue. It was, it was the thing around you or the thing that you tried to pitch. That's really awesome to hear. I guess I kind of want to ask you more from like your educational background then, because um, I know that you've started like all your non-for-profits whilst you were in uni and like you did all of this like Monash Accelerator program stuff and you had a lot of commitments going on. I mean, like how did you balance everything with your studies? Um, I know like a biomedicine and commerce is a tough degree. How d were you able to kind of juggle both wanting to work on yourself professionally, but also your studies? Yeah, I think anyone who was in my cohort at the time would basically say I didn't show up. Um, but it's the 80-20 thing, right? Like after your first year of uni, and I think everyone goes through this, where you like go ham, like you think it's VCE, like the end of the exam score actually matters. But really, like if you scale it and average it up and down, like if you'd lost 10 points here and there, it actually didn't matter. Um, so obviously in the first year, you, I spent all my time basically studying to the point where I realised like, I actually didn't, don't need to do this. I just need to do well enough to not have made this time a waste. Um, and so it was how much time do I actually need to spend on uni and actually like making that proportionate to what I want the outcome to be. Um, I, w I think I figured out the way that I learn and the way that I memorize things and everything. Um, and then it was, okay, now I have all the rest of this time. Like I'm not going to let it to waste. It was realizing that in my head, every, every second that I was spending on this one thing, I was sacrificing something else. Um, and yeah, just, I guess how to fit it in. I mean, um, yeah, they were, they were very hectic degrees, eh? But I definitely, um, yeah, just, I guess, prioritised what I wanted to in that season of life and just figured out, like, what I needed to get by on the other things. 
in terms of the professionalism gap you mentioned earlier, do you feel like um, going into like consulting after like uni um, really like helped with like um, I guess your work now? Yeah, a hundred percent. The biggest thing I learned in consulting is basically how to show up every single day and be a consultant because to this day it is it is genuinely a like energy rather than like what people think we actually do um but yeah 100 percent. like the only reason really I, I went into consulting was at the end of the accelerator program realizing like hey look i have to humble myself a little bit here like as much as i have these goals to go off and start a business at some point and want to be a founder and i want that to be my dream job and everything it's like i never thought after university i'd go into a job as as per what you know a lot of people would be interviewing for at sort of my tenure in university or whatnot and so i was so i guess tunnel visioned about this whole um accelerator thing and you know that's all I thought about for basically the whole year that I ignored completely what maybe the normal process would be in terms of the pathway to get into a career or these industry nights that you would go and meet people or whatnot um and so I was very lucky that at the end of that I came to the realization within myself that I just I just needed a job to actually learn what the world is about and that you can't just you know go out there and 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 sort of pitch ideas and hope for money to come your way and then you build this other thing and, and whatnot um which some people do which and incredibly successful at but um you know that just wasn't my skill set just yet um so I was very lucky that you know I realized that within myself I had this huge gap that I needed to fill I I just probably needed a bit of both confidence and actual technical skill set to go again at some point in the next sort of two years or whatnot when I sort of replenish my own energy and replenish sort of my own confidence from there and at the same time, the mentor or the resident, uh, the entrepreneur and residents, who's basically our mentor in the program, sort of um, connected me with what was, you know, um, one of the sort of the Baines, the BCGs, the McKinsey's sort of interviews of the world. Um, and was like, hey, look, go and do this. Um, it will help you a ton. The very similar concept where it's like consulting, you work in teams and you solve these business problems together. You'll learn a ton about the frameworks don't say that word ever in an interview but frameworks as to how to actually do that and how like big businesses work basically um so that you yourself can learn a ton about what you actually want to go and do um and then I was like okay great interviewed it and whatnot um you know the thing that he gave me was for for Bain ended up in the final round of the interviews there um and funnily enough, the interview question was like, how much money do you think Marvel now makes from having their sign now on the stadium? And I was like, what the hell is Marvel? <laughs> it, and it probably made me look like I've never gone outside the house. Um, so I bombed that interview. But I realized like through the process, like so in consulting, you go through these like case interviews. It's like figuring out pieces of a puzzle, doing a bit of math here and there and that kind of thing. So much fun. Like I actually loved it so much. Um and so then I, I applied on to BCG through just the website portal, submitted my resume, and sort of the next day they sort of called me in for an interview there. So I was very lucky that, like, I bombed one and, and got the other. Um, but from the f- year and a half I was at BCG, for sure, from day one, you can tell from the aura of the people in the office, the way they hold themselves, the way they talk to clients, the way they talk to each other, the way that your email is meant to be sent, the way, you know, all of these things, just by osmosis of being there, you, f- you figure out that it's 100% an energy that you have to project in terms of the professional you will be. Um, do you feel like that kind of, like, um, helped you, like, make a decision about, like, continuing to work as a consultant, as, like, a freelance consultant? Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, I think the learning curve in the f- whatever months I was there for went from, like, absolute bottom to I cannot believe the person I am 
looking back in the short amount of time, like the amount of learning that happened both technically and confidence-wise and, and ne- opportunity-wise and network-wise and everything, you would just never get any... Well, in, in my eyes, very biased eyes. In my biased eyes, um, you would just never get anywhere else. Um, so as much as, you know, I think I was very lucky to get in, um, but, you know, I... I would do it again. In a, I would tell anyone to do it again in a heartbeat because that year and a half or whatever you spend there is like never going to be wasted. It will change. It will change your perception for forever. Um, you know, I left because of personal reasons and timing and whatnot. And I had to be overseas at a certain point in time. It was COVID. Like no one was allowed to basically work outside, whatnot. Um, and so I had to leave the firm. But very luckily, you know, I knew in some way, you know, going to a, a place like BCG or one of the firms or whatnot, you know, it's for some people a stepping stone or whatnot. It's also a safety net in some some sort of sense because you learn so much that your skill set can be applied in so many different other places or whatnot. I personally didn't want to go into industry. I didn't go in, want to go into any other job per se. Um, I just wanted to keep, like, learning a ton and really quickly. Um, and so I was very lucky the day that I had to resign that pretty much a headhunter found me um, and I was able, like, they basically lined up the next job for the next day. Um, so I was very lucky to go into freelancing, consulting um, very quickly. And, you know, that's also probably something that when people go into consulting, they really don't know how they're going to exit or whatnot. It's something that I don't think you've realised how many exit opportunities you have until you actually do leave. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I still love it to this day because of, it's such an extension of learning so quickly um, about so many different industries. Like I'm, the last 12 months I've been learning about, like, I've been in the financial in financial institutions sort of space. I can tell you everything about a bank now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, um, you're basically getting paid to learn. Like who, who doesn't love that? That's really cool to hear because I know a lot of, um, uh, at least a lot of my peers, they want to go into consulting um, and they have this like eagerness to like learn and to absorb um, and to hear from your experience. It's really great to see that you kind of do get that like massive learning curve through entering consulting. I guess my next question is, what skills do you think you've learnt from consulting um, that has that is applicable to building your own business? Mm-mm-mm. So much, so much. Um, well, especially being a freelancer because. You know, technically, the way that the freelancing industry in, in consulting works is is you find your own clients, um, and then you do a project with them. The typical, I guess, consulting project is around three months long, um, and you re- basically rinse and repeat. Even if you're in a firm or outside of a firm, it's the same sort of structure. It's project by project. Um, so, very much, I guess, especially when you're on a project and, and in the downtime between projects and whatnot, you, I guess, relatively on your time. Um, and so, when you're in a firm, especially. It's very well structured what your week down to what your day, down to what your hour, down to what your half hour will look like. Um, And so what you learn a ton about is, I guess, prioritisation of time. Um, It's so easy, especially when you're maybe a first year or an associate at a firm to end up doing a lot of what they call churn is just like work that doesn't matter. Like just rinse and repeat because you have this meeting to go for and then you have to like prepare this for that and scramble and whatnot and you're just always scrambling and you, it's like, it's called busy work. You know, it's like, it doesn't actually matter, but you look busy all the time. Um, and so you very quickly realise that like that's not sustainable at all. That's why people are still in the tower at like 12 in the midnight because they've spent all their sort of eight hour work day doing this churn work and they actually do the really important stuff from like nine to 10. Um so actually planning out your day really well and, and sort of prioritizing of time. And that translates to like 
in the studio that we're about to open, it's like there's only certain blocks of time where you can contact a customer and there's only blocks of time where you should be doing admin. There's blocks of time where you need to do this before this other thing happens. Um, and so r being really well prioritised with your time and, and sort of making everything happen. Um, the probably real thing that I, I had to learn the hard way was like perception matters a ton, especially in a professional career where like you yourself are actually the product and service and that kind of thing. If you don't believe in yourself and you don't present yourself as the best in industry, no one else is going to. Um, so the confidence that you portray, the way that you speak to them, the way that you present the knowledge that you have, the way that you get around if you don't know what the sort of answer is, um, all of that, it can it translates like as a business owner it's like if I don't believe in Pilates is the best thing in the world no one else is um so that sort of translates completely um yeah and I, and I guess um probably the, the others are probably the two the two main things that are like just absolutely synonymous and I can see myself switching between sort of day to day all the time you mentioned your new exciting venture, Strong Pilates Bowling. So, like, could you tell us a bit more about, like, why you started it and just, like, um, the story around that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, started it, sort of made the decision to franchise the Bowling site at, at Strong Pilates in probably in February of this year, and we're about to open in four days. So, the time difference is about eight months, and for context, that is crazily fast for... <laughs> decision to actual open date where like most businesses in our suburb have taken two three years to get open um so it has been a very fast moving process and I think that's completely based on the fact that we it was both my partner and I being super focused on one thing in terms of that being you know a passion actually wanting to get this open and, and pulling every string we can to make that happen um but basically like it's Pilates is something that my partner and I do all the time. We love. Um, it's something that bonds us. And so, like, building community for us, we found, whether it's from the charity, whether it's from me being on consulting teams and, like, always wanting to bring the team together. Like, if anyone if anyone were to sort of see me on a consulting project team, like, you know I'm the jokester. Not jokester, but, like, the person who brings people together and makes sure that the team culture is good. Um, and and so, like, through all these experiences that we've done together or, or individually, we found that, like, bringing people together is sort of really our thing that we, we love to do and we do well. And so building a community around something that we love to do together, um, we just thought was a great idea. And, you know, breaking into the fitness industry is, uh, I think, a bit... You know, random and, and foreign and very out of left field. Um, but at some point, like, if I really sat down, like, last year and, and thought about it, like, there were so many goals and things that I wanted to do um, long term. And I was like, yeah, being in the wellness fitness industry was always going to be one of them. And this year, you know, we took, we took the first step to doing that. And it looks so random and so out of place for someone who's in the corporate world to, to step out for a hot minute and, and go and do this. But, um in the long scheme of, of where we want to be, it's, it's only really just the first step. Um, and so, yeah, we think Strong Pilates is absolutely going to be, you know, it's the next level of what currently Reformer Pilates is on the market and it's so gender neutral that it opens up to, like, so many different people who can come in and basically try this new exercise um, that a lot of people wouldn't have done before and would find that it's something that's part of their routine just like it's ours. That's really cool to hear that you've kind of recognised where your strengths lie and you're able to bring that into your job. Um, I know that you mentioned before that you have this like one vision of like where you want to be or like what you want, like what your goal is. Like, do you mind me asking whether you feel like you are on track to that? <laughs> <or> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, manifest. 
let's this is going to one day be published and let's see like 10 years from now if this actually <laughs> happens um but no, i personally think my my sort of not necessarily advantage but like the thing that really makes me unique and something that i'm more and more proud of sort of thing is that like i do speak fluent Chinese, I speak to the Chinese market. Whenever we have sort of anyone come in the door, like I can speak to, you know, whatever. Um, so, and and my partner, he's basically from the Philippines, speaks fluent Filipino, everything like that. Um, so we, ha- I think for us, we very much want to be in the fitness and wellness industry in Asia at some point. We want to have swim schools, Pilates studios, all that kind of jazz, um, sort of, you know, in China and the Philippines. Um, so that is, you know, an ultimate sort of dream of ours. Um obviously here in Australia too. Um, but yeah, that's that's the goal. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. Um, and does that, I guess, intersect with Halal to Health as well in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the sort of Halid organisation as it is now is very much focused around mental health. Um, but something that's so, so unique about Halid is that we very much are the first, not necessarily first, but we're probably the biggest, I guess, international influenced um NGO in this small rural community in basically Bukidnon in, in the Philippines, in the south of the Philippines. Um, and so we have a very close relationship with the local government. And so they'll constantly always tell us and want us to be their partner in all these sort of public health issues that come across. Just last sort of June, January, or June, July, when we went across, sort of the biggest thing they wanted us to focus on was about, for example, nutrition um, and better health for kids. They wanted us, at some point, they want us to sort of focus on actual exercise and all that kind of thing. And so I think we have this really unique insight in terms of like, oh, how can we actually make a difference and how can we actually help on the ground in some places, um, whether it's bring out expertise in exercise, whether it's being a, bring out expertise in our nutritionists, whether it's being partnered with nutrition brands over here to be able to fuel a nutrition campaign or whatnot. And so we constantly and always connect the dots to be like, well, how can we use basically the expertise in some of these um businesses that we're going to start or sort of the partnerships that we're going to create to really benefit essentially like the end goal of, of really making a difference through through Hallett at one point. Well I'm so excited to see kind of where the future of Hallett will, will end up with um, and where you go with all your Pilates studios and exercise <laughs> kind of dreams. Manifesting. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's manif- one right now. There's one. Let's <laughs> get one open. Um, I kind of want to end off the questions we want to ask you with a bit of a different one. Um, I feel like probably all of us can already recognise you have a lot of experience, you have a lot of insights to share. But if you had to leave the world with only one statement or piece of advice, what would that be? It would be that taking the first step, you're already miles ahead of not starting at all. There are so many people who can watch the same video, who can get the same inspiration, who can get basically the same business ideas in a, I don't know, reel or TikTok or whatnot these days, and no one takes action. So by, you know, just taking the first step, going and do something about it, about it whether it's a, it's a short-term thing or whether it's a more of a long-term thing that you want to learn a new skill set or whatnot, you're not going to get there overnight. But taking a step every single day, you are getting closer, millions and millions, you know, ahead of probably the majority who are not doing anything about it. That's so awesome. Um, I actually read this statistic a while back, how 90% of ideas remain as ideas and are never actually actioned. Mm. Um, so the importance of just like starting is something that you don't really realise how actually important it is just to like get going itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so to hear you say that, it's re- very insightful to hear. 
those are all the questions that we wanted to ask you. We kind of want to change it up a little bit um, okay. and end off with a few rapid-fire questions that isn't related to work, um, but more just like who you are as a person. Okay. First one is, what is your favourite thing to do outside of work? Okay, well, of course I'm going to say strong Pilates, <laughs> but <laughs> that is technically work. So, um, swimming. So I grew up swimming, so always swimming. That's cool. Um, what is one non-negotiable activity each week other than swimming and other than Pilates? <laughs> <laughs> um, a non-negotiable. Every weekend I have to spend my weekend with my grandma. That's so sweet. It seems like family is really important to you, so that's really, that's really cool to hear. If you had to choose one, consulting or entrepreneurship, which one would you choose? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The the two things I actually do well in life. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, they're completely at odds. I mean, like, I obviously have to kind of, like, I'm in a stage of life where I kind of have to do both. Um, so I absolutely can't choose. But, you know, I'd, um, long term, I want to say both. Just, I can't see my life. For different reasons, I, I can't see my life not doing one or the other sort of thing. If your friends had to describe you in three words, what would they choose? They would choose ambitious, um, probably because I told them that. And <laughs> they would choose loyal um, and family oriented. I see that, I see that. Well, I think that's about all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your day to like, come onto the podcast. I'm sure our listeners like really got a lot out of it. I'm sure I did. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Eliza. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. I knew that ever since listening to you at that event, I was like, I need to have this person on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it really was amazing just to like ask you questions that I didn't get the opportunity to before and to listen to your journey and kind of listen to kind of where you see yourself in the future as well. Um, and of course, best of luck with Hell Out to Health and all of your other business ventures and the opening of your Pilates studio as well. Yeah, no, 100%. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to come down to Strong Pilates Ballwin <laughs> and if you want to come out and try a session, always hit me up. More than welcome to do it because it will change your, oh, I won't change your life, but like it, it will change your fitness game. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eliza. Um, and thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know that we both definitely did. Um, and tune in for the next episode of B1 Bites.